Let me, uh, am I on? Excellent. <laughs> I guess we'll find out, huh? Uh, to just acknowledge uh, a few people and things. I want to thank you and uh, thank uh, Pastor James for giving me the opportunity to preach here every once in a while. And um, it, it means a great deal to me to be able to, uh, to come home and, and uh, bring the word as best I'm able. And I, I just, I love being here, and I want to say thank you. Um, so thank you to the staff, to the leadership, to the, everybody for making this happen. But it goes two ways. I also, I, I belong to a different church now, Emmaus Church over in the Perry District. And I, I also owe a, a burden of thanks to the leadership there um, who allows me to, to go various other places and preach. Uh, this morning, Emmaus Church is represented by uh, Justin and his wife, Sierra, who have come to make sure I'm not preaching heresy uh, at the Free Methodist Church and, and bring a full report back to uh, the Board of Elders. So be nice to them if you can, uh, for my sake. I, <clears throat> there's, there's a lot of stuff on my plate right now, as I'm, I'm sure there is uh, for everybody else. And one of the things that I have promised myself is that um, as I take on opportunities to preach other places, unless the leadership there assigns me a text, I will preach on whatever I am personally studying. Um, so as not to increase a workload. Blessing and a curse. The blessing is, um, I, you know, whenever somebody gives me an opportunity to preach, I'm already studying what I need to be studying. The curse is that sometimes the congregation that I'm preaching to winds up in a weird passage. Um, and, and there's sort of this feeling of like, you know, I'm on a freight train going about 100 miles an hour, and then I just sort of grab you... <laughs> For, 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 you know, just a mile or so and drop you back off. So if you get that feeling this morning that, that there is a lot more to this um, and you just sort of got hit by a semi-truck, pasted to the front of it for a mile or two until the brakes got slammed and you fell off on the road and went, how the heck did I get here? That might happen to you this morning. I just want to admit that, all right? Uh, nothing we can really do about it besides acknowledge it. So we're, we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 15. Before I get into this, um, we have some in-house business to take care of. Um, not, not only did uh, a, a, a giant uh, pass away yesterday, who we, who we love and cherish, who did a, a mountain of work, of, of practical things, uh, especially for this body, uh, we have another one who's been admitted to the hospital this morning. And, uh, and that's where Bill Mortensen is. Ron, do you know um, which hospital he's at? Deaconess. Deaconess. And they suspect that there's another blockage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, as we take care of this in-house business, I, I, I want to ask for a, a little bit of grace and um, 
and permission from you, that I'd be able to just speak from the heart, let the chips fall where they may. God has placed on my heart this week, um, before we got any kind of news about Jerry, before um, uh, we even got the call to go up and see him, um, God placed on my heart to bring a message of encouragement, uh, to, to bring a message of hope um, that, that, that there are, our congregation, our family needs uh, a solid rock, a cleft in the rock to hide in. And that is my goal this morning. Um, so whatever else happens, I, I, I want, I hope that we will be able to find that cleft uh, in the scripture um, and, and go into it and be safe, be safe there. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God of righteousness. You are the God of the wanderers. You are the covenant maker. And it is by you and your righteousness that we are able to find peace, that we are able to find goodness, and it is only in your presence that we are able to worship. I pray, Father, that this morning you would allow us to worship you. That everything else that's, that's going on and that's happening would spur us on to a greater heart of worship and deeper into your presence. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we spent some time reading Genesis chapter 15 before I get into it. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to spend some time with you, and we're going to, to literally just wander in the text. We're going to stroll through it, um, and, 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 and we're going to take our time doing that. What I hope to do is paint a picture. I, what I hope to do is to allow you to enter into this biblical narrative, and then we're going to make sense of it afterwards. One of the things that's been going on in my heart, one of the things that God has been telling me is that sometimes I make the mistake of trying to figure out scripture. I, I sort of like, that's my goal. I sit down, I figure it out, and once I do, usually I tell people about it, tell them what I've figured out, and I turn the page. And, and I feel like God has said, like, slow down. This isn't really about figuring this out. It's not, it's not getting it to the place of completion. It's about sitting in it. It's about residing in it. It's about letting the Spirit of God speak to your heart as he will as we are in the text. That's what I hope to do first. And then after that, um, we'll start making sense of it. And I hope, my, my honest hope is that this week, um, you, will be, you will be spurned on by the, by the Spirit of God to stay in this text and to continue to interrogate it and ask questions of it and ask yourself, what is going on here? Spirit of God, help me make sense of this. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, this is Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold... The word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, 
so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Take a pause right here. This is what happens. Abram, um, let's go up to 50,000 feet and look down on, on Abram as a little tiny speck. The Genesis account tells about creation. It tells about sin and the fall and God sort of going around fixing things, fixing creation and, and how sin is sort of rampant. There's the sin of heaven, there's the sin of the earth, um, there's the sin of people and, and God is doing his best to, to try to allow for humanity to be redeemed, for his creation to be redeemed and he does this a number of different ways. He does this by casting them out of the garden, right? That's a measure of grace. He does that by assigning different roles to different people in societies. He does that eventually by flooding the earth and, and saving only the righteous. He does it then by scattering the nations and giving each nation its own tongue and its own place. Right after he does that in Genesis chapter 11, he assigns everybody a place in the world. Except for this one guy and his name's Abram. And God calls to him and he says, Abram, leave your family, leave your culture, your heritage, your spot, and go to a place that I will show you. And initially, as we're reading this, especially when we're up at 50,000 feet, we go, oh, God's doing something again. He's, he's, he's doing something to, to try to bring redemption back into humanity. So Abram had a place, right? He had a home, he had a family, he had land, he had, he had all of that sort of stuff. God was calling him not to have one, but to have a different one. But there's one problem. One problem is that this sin thing has infected his, his and his wife's bodies. And they are unable to fulfill the command that God has given to all of creation to be fruitful and to multiply. And so there's this step of faith that Abram has to have in order to follow God and, and to be called from a place into a place that God will show him. Now, this we call the promised land or the land of Canaan. The problem is it's full of people. And these people aren't ready to be displaced by God. So Abram and his family become what they call Hebrews or immigrants or sojourners or wanderers. And they literally wander around the land. They wander around with a promise, a check written by God that says you will have land, you will have people, you will be a nation, you will be great, I will bless everyone through you. He hands them the check and he says, now don't cash it. And they're sort of wandering around and Abram's been, when we get to this point in the text, Abram has had this check in his money bag for a while. Um, in fact, from the time that Abram gets called out to the time Isaac is born, there's 25 years. And Abram goes through a lot of stuff in between then, and he starts learning who God is. Let me tell you one of the dirty little secrets of Genesis, all right? Abram never gets the land. He never gets the land. And even though he does see the birth of his son, he never sees a great nation happening. Never, right? But Abram is, he is, there is something special that happens. He does receive the promise, just not that promise. 
That promise has yet to be fulfilled. In a sense, when Abram dies, he hands an uncashed check to his son. And he goes to his grave in peace because he knows that God is going to allow his descendants to cash in on that check. But Abram never cashes the check. He holds the promise, but he never gets what's written on the promise. Does that make sense? Okay. Mike, you look a little confused. (laughs) Don't worry. It'll get better. But man, if the school teacher's confused, I better... (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I guess, yeah, since you can raise your hand and ask questions if if that's going to be helpful. But just hang on. Save questions to the end. All right, here we go. Uh, let's, let's go to, uh, to verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. There's something that set Abram apart, and it wasn't that he just received all these blessings and went, wow, these blessings are great, but that he held on to that uncashed check. Abram believes and he obeys. He's not sinless. He's not what makes him righteous. The text tells us is his belief. And his obedience. Verse 7. And he said to him, the Lord said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. He said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Pause. Um. It kind of appears that Abram's being a little snippy here. It it appears that God's giving him a promise and Abram's going, no, I don't think think so, God. I don't think you're able to. But there's this exchange in here that the more that I look at it, the more I'm convinced that maybe something else is going on. One, that Abram refers to God as Lord God or Adonai Yahweh uh, in the Hebrew. So Adonai meaning Lord, Yahweh being the proper name of God. So he says, he says, oh, Lord God. Every time he brings a question to God, he admits his lordship and he admits his character, his personality. He acknowledges those things about God. And then second is he doesn't go about asking for more things. I I see not only submission to God, but I also see contentment. In that Abram is saying, like, I don't need anything more than what I've got. Um, in fact, one of the things that Abram struggled with is the fact that he was going to receive something that he didn't really feel he needed to receive. We'll see here and in other places that Abram sort of gives God the easy out. Um, he says, like, well, I've got all of, all of this stuff. I don't have an heir. Um, so... I don't understand what else I need. No, it's going, God says, no, it's going to come out of your body, your son. Not an heir, you're going to get a son. And Abram later on goes in and has a son without his wife. He gets a new wife because his wife is barren. And God says, no, 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 no. Hey, I'll bless him too. But no, no, no. Here's the real promise. You don't have to give me an, an easy out. I've written the check. It will be cashed. You don't need, you don't need to amend the check for a less, lesser amount. You don't have to do that. And here's what God says to him. When Abram says, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Like I said, I don't think he's snippy. I think he's being submissive. And I think that he is being honoring. And I think that he's bringing an honest question to God. And God's going to give him an honest answer. And here's what he says. 
bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Period. To me, I think that's an interesting response. <laughs> How am I going to know this, God? Go bring, me, go bring me some ingredients. All right? Go down to the store, get yourself X, Y, and Z, bring it on up here. But Abram knows what God's about to do. Because he doesn't just go and get the ingredients. He starts, he starts the process that God has, has said that he's going to start. You see, these animals are a way for people to have a covenant with one another. In our day and age, when we covenant with each other, we sign contracts, right? But in that day and age, they would enact, they would put together a short drama of sorts in which they would promise not, not just the promises that needed to be upheld, but what would happen to the individual who made the promise should they fail. By cutting animals, uh, getting these animals, cutting them, and laying them, as the text says, over and against one another, meaning that they create sort of like an aisle. They separate the pieces. Then the participants would walk through those pieces, go down the aisle together, as it were. Um, and when they got through the other side, what they were saying is, God is going to be able to do to us, and if he fails, you will be able to do to me what we have just done to these animals if I should not uphold my end of the bargain. It's brutal, it's bloody, and I think that if we go, well, it made more sense in that day and age, I would say, I'm not so sure. I think brutality is brutality no matter what. This is, pretty, this is a pretty gory thing to have, to have a cow, a ram, a goat, all these things cut in half, pulled apart, and people walking through them. And that was so that so that it could not be done lightly. Just as a side note, I think for all of our credit card bills and all that sort of stuff, we probably wouldn't be in the mess that we were in if we had to go through such a somber ritual when we say, I promise I will do this, that we can't take those things lightly. They can't just send me something in the mail and I go down to the store and swipe it. Right? I, this is a covenant, and it's deep and this is what God is telling Abram he's about to do. I'm about to do something. Go get me the ingredients. Verse 10. He, that being Abram, brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. In a sense, what happens in that little sentence almost sums up Abram's entire life. That he's waiting for God. He's waiting for God. He has, made, he has made all of the pieces for this ceremony to happen. And God doesn't do anything right away. Abram has to be proactive to keep the birds, literally the vultures, from coming down and consuming the ritual. Abram's waiting on God by driving away the birds that are trying to eat up his promise. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Pause there for a second. Dreadful and great darkness. 
Sometimes God communicates to us in ways that are scary and are brutal and hurt. And we don't like what God has to say. But God will say them anyway. Because he is very, very serious about his promises. And more importantly, he's very, very serious about us. And he takes us very seriously. The Lord said to Abram, and I kind of imagine this part as like sort of a, a, a shout, a, a, a trumpet blast, if you will. Um, not God walking up casually to Abram while he's, while he's you know, laying down somewhere as it's getting dark, a deep sleep upon him and sort of whispering to him. But I see this more as, as an overpowering exclamation. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God promises Abram that he's going to bless everyone through him. Part of that blessing is that everybody else gets an opportunity for redemption before God brings judgment on them. There's a, region, there's a reason that Abram is sojourning. If we read Genesis incorrectly, we'll get a picture of the Jewish people being totally favored by God, everybody else being hated, and that God, everybody gets the raw end of the stick except for the Israelites, and that's totally and completely false. God gives a promise to Abram, and he takes him to a land, but all he does is show it to him, because there's people who are living there. And in fact, Abram and his descendants are going to get the raw end of the stick big time, not because they're sinners, not because they need punishment, not because of any of that, but because God has such grace for a people called the Amorites. And he says, their measure is not complete yet. They have not burned me so much that I am ready to judge them. They need an opportunity. And that's going to be a terrible thing for you and your descendants. You are going to have a big burden to bear. That's, that's not... That's saying, guess what? This, this check that you've been holding on to for a long, long time and not cashing, it won't be cashed for another 400 years. And in the meantime, you're going to be worse than broke. You're going to be afflicted. You are, you are going to be tread upon. Everything for your descendants is going to be horrible until I lead them out of that land where they're sojourning and I, I allow them to cash this check. And here's why. Because the Amorites, have, they don't deserve judgment yet. That is amazing grace. See, sometimes we think that the God of the Old Testament sort of walks around with this lightning rod smoting people who don't deserve it. It's actually not the truth. His grace, he gives this covenant to Abram because Abram has to go through a lot of garbage. Garbage that the Amorites don't have to go through. 
But God's command is that all men come unto repentance. And he's making that possible. The only reason that the Israelites will be able to go through this nasty, nasty 400 years coming up and, and Abram being able to survive all this time since God called him out from Ur of the Chaldeans is because they have that check in their money bag. And they can believe in God and it can be counted to them as righteousness. They can have their place as the people of God, not because God has blessed them incredibly with land and with possessions, but because they believe in him and his promises will be fulfilled. Verse 17. This is perhaps, this next chunk is perhaps the weirdest part of all this. If, if any of this is weird to you, this may be the weirdest. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. By the way, I had to practice that one like just a few times to get it all right. Let me read this verse 17 again. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. At some point, Abram's deep sleep comes over him or leaves him so that he can watch this. Or, and I believe this may also be the case here in the text, I'll let you know it's conjecture. Maybe Abram is asleep. He doesn't see this. But the narrator is kind enough to the people who are trying to make sense of, of this to let us know what's happening. And, and this pot, this, this uh, I imagine a, a, a sort of like an oven on a string, you know, like the, like the priest's swing that has the smoke that comes up um, and, a, and a torch are being carried through this. But who's carrying them? The text is actually pretty clear that it's God. It's God who's making the covenant. He's carrying them. What's amazing is that it doesn't mention that God is carrying them. In the text, God is invisible. And yet we see this torch. We see the things that God is doing, but we can't see God. I find that first really, really weird. And then as I contemplate on it, as I ask the Holy Spirit, what is going on here? Spirit of God whispers back to me, that's how I do things. That, that's me. And I think about the things in my life where I've been able to see the smoking pot and the torch being carried through the pieces, going down the aisle in God's solemn covenants, and yet God himself is invisible. At some level, there is this step of faith that you have to take. That the pot didn't just sort of become a hovering pot. That the torch didn't just sort of become a hovering torch and decide of their own accord and of their own mind to pass through uh, in a covenantal ceremony. At some point you have to say, I don't have a covenant with a, with a torch and a pot. I have a covenant with God who moves the torch and the pot. It's just interesting that we don't get to see God in the passage, just what he does. When he makes this covenant, 
he says this promise to Abram, which I will again reiterate, to your offspring, I give this land. Because before God said, I will give this land to you. I will show you a land that I will give to you. And now he says, to your offspring. This is something that happens. Abram wanders without cashing the check all his life. I want to I leave the text there. I, I just I want to sort of give you that little story. I hope you'll put it in your pocket. I'll hope you throw it in your brain pan and all week long. See how things shake out for you. Um, I've been sitting on this for a while. So I'm going to tell you how these things shake out for me. But I want to give you permission to allow this text to be dynamic in your life and in your heart because of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wind up where where I wind up. But a lot of big things kind of happened this week. And, And so here's how I make sense of it. I find it amazing that in this story, in response to all of this sort of stuff, Abram seems to be in a place of worship. He seems to be in the, in the presence of God all through this. First in a vision, second in speaking, third in looking at nature with God, fourth in God speaking to him, fifth in sleep. God just seems to be pervasively invading Abram's life and speaking to him. Good things, bad things, there's Scary feelings there, there's peaceful feelings there, and in all of it, God is there. You see, Abraham did get a great reward. When we go back to verse number one, God says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. That is Abram's great reward. He doesn't need to cash the check, because God is his great reward. I was here a while ago and preached on Psalm 23 and said the same message. That no matter where God takes us or where we find ourselves, the green pastures, the great reward, the still water is not our circumstances in life, but our ability to be in the presence of God. When God says, Abram, I am your shield, I imagine this giant shield coming right behind Abram. Because if you look at the chapters just prior to this, there's sort of a lot of trouble that's chasing Abram down. Um, He's made a lot of people mad, and a lot of people are, are after him. God says, fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. And I imagine this giant shield going right behind Abram. And God's saying, don't worry about that trouble that's following, following you. It has to bump into me before it bumps into you. Fear not. But as the story progresses, as this chapter progresses, we see that God brings a lot of future trouble to Abram. He says, it's coming. And Abram is terrified to his soul. And at that point, I see a shield being dropped in front of Abram, all around Abram. That God is saying, there is no way this trouble is going to find you before it finds me. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. And as we deal with heartache and as we deal with sadness, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that no matter which checks we have in our pocket that are uncashed, the greatest reward is that we have been adopted into the family of God. Not that we have received the inheritance, but that we belong to the family. In fact, we can die in peace and comfort without cashing in on all of the wonderful promises of God because we have the greatest promise, and that is God himself. Lastly, I want to look at this. In my heart, I, I look at this picture of things being broken, God setting them to the side, and God walking through them on his own. Abram never walked through those pieces. And it reminds me, my heart is stirred almost to the point of tears as I recall the passage where Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is for you. Another divine reenactment in which I have no participation. Jesus' breaking of the bread, he he did of his own accord. I had no, I did not get to go through that sacrifice with Jesus. I did not, that was his covenant, not mine. I get it because he did it. Not because I made any promises to Jesus. Not because I made any promises to God. There is no end of my, of my covenant that was required for me to hold up for Jesus to make that sacrifice. But his body was broken for me. In a sense, in a sense... The death and resurrection of Christ is a fulfillment of this action of God. God saying, this is my covenant with you, Abram, and if it doesn't be upheld, may this be done to my body. May it be broken in half. And God did come in a body. And he did, he was brutally murdered for my transgressions and for Abram's. So that we could belong to this covenant. And I realize maybe at, at, at this point, maybe at, at this point there's enough confusion, but I just to give you one more thing to put into your, your brain pan and fry up, let's read that passage together. This is Matthew 26, verse 26. And, and there's, there's a number of, of different accounts of this um, it, throughout the Gospels. Just, I find it interesting, before we hop into it, that Jesus is breaking things. He's asking people to consume things. And he mentions the word covenant. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. After blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You see, we don't get to cash in on this promise of Jesus that we are eating and drinking with him in the kingdom of God until after we are buried. We get this promise, we get this covenant, we get this hope, but it's a check that's written for us. And we keep it in our pocket, we keep it in our money bag. And our great reward is that we are able to hang on to it and we don't have to cash it. Because we know who God is and we have complete faith and trust in him. 
brings me great comfort to know that these giants of faith like Abram, like Josephine, like Ben, like Jerry, Bud, so many people who have had that check in their pocket and they're cashing it in. They get to, excuse me, they get to participate in a way that we, the living, cannot. That brings me great hope and great comfort. I'm going to uh, close us in prayer, but I ask you this week to keep your mind on, on this picture, even though it's kind of weird, even though it's kind of brutal, that God has covenanted with you and that we are able to have a new life now because he fulfilled his promise to Abram. Not for land and lineage, but for a breaking of the body and a breaking of the flesh of Christ. And just allow that to sit and simmer and see how the Spirit of God might speak to you. Let's pray.